Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Greetings, and welcome back to the Addiction Connection. (laughs) Greetings. Yeah. Yeah, greetings. This is number 44. Yeah, it's amazing. We've sat here. We did them all. We taped them all at the same time, so we've been here for like... 60 hours. Can you imagine doing that? No. No. We should really just do that, though, over the next eight, because then we'll have finished the first year. Yeah, we've been... Isn't that crazy? Very busy, so it's been hard to keep up. But today, we're talking about what to do with patients in the jail, because in many places in Minnesota, nothing is done with people with addiction in jails. In, so there's, we want to We want to change that. Well, yes. We started to, actually. A couple jails... So the real big issue is there's two different ways of looking at, um, we're going to focus on opioid use disorder with this talk, not the other use disorders, which of course are also important, but we're looking, focusing today, opioid use disorder. So two different types of patients, those who come in and they're on their MAT, their, you know, medication assisted treatment, and then those who come in who start to go into withdrawal. Both, both types of patients are super important. Yeah. And I think in the past, uh, and still in many places, you come in, and it's just okay to make people suffer. And uh, I think we disagree with that. Super disagree with that. So, so. there's so really three things that you can use. Um, now, can you get methadone in the jails? You can. It's a little difficult. Buprenorphine in the jails? You can. It's a lot easier. And naltrexone, which is injectable. You can, but it's not as easy. You know, methadone, you're not really going to start anybody. So someone who comes in starts withdrawing, you're not going to start them on methadone in the jail. Yeah. Now, Trexone, you know, they're going to have to hang it out for a couple of weeks before you can give that to them. So they're still having to be miserable and suffering while withdrawing from their opioid of choice. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting parts of that is in, in most county jails, the average patient is not in jail that long. Correct. So and often I, they're out in three, four days and... You really can't give them the naltrexone. So, so anyway, we're gonna kind of we just skip this now and just say you know we're gonna focus more on buprenorphine here. We can, and I think one of the reasons <laughs> that we're we're focusing on that is because it is the easiest. It, it can is be, the easiest. It can be prescribed by anyone, uh, a PA, nurse practitioner, my, myself, even you, Heather Bell, even me. Hmm. So, so I think that's really the the important thing, and and the. No, really, what's the potential of, you know, cheek in that one if, if it's a film? Pretty tough. Well, because that's how it's absorbed anyway. So, you know, it yeah. kind of so, defeats the purpose. The one thing I want to do say, I guess, about the patients on methadone, because you will have patients who are already on methadone coming into the jail. There are ways to get methadone to them if they're in a methadone program. There is just, it's, it's very challenging. There's transportation issues. There's chain of custody issues. It's it's more complicated, so don't don't freak out if that's your status. But so our dream you really, get it. our dream is really to put this in every county jail in Minnesota and, well, and beyond. Stay tuned. Can't say much more. <laughs> okay, that was good, right? <laughs> Just a random button I pushed. Okay, so why did we even care about this? You know, we had a patient um, back a while, while, while ago, years. who years, years and years ago, who was doing super well in the program and had to go to jail for old crime. And I think that's what we all need to remember is that 
people often go to jail not because they literally just got arrested, but they, you know, got arrested, posted bail, they've been waiting for all this stuff, and then they, you know, he'd gotten his life turned around. He is in recovery for quite a while, actually, and then, but he had this old charge that he had to go back to jail for, and, you know, they said, well, it's not a necessary medication to have MAT in the jail and the Suboxone in the jail. It's what he had been on, and they made him stop, and he got super sick and relapsed when he got out. Correct. And, so, then, and then it went off the rails. Way so. off the rails. So we wanted to say, well, what the heck? This dude was doing so well. Why can't he just stay on this medication? Yeah, and really, you know, why is it important to do MAT in a, in a jail? I think it's important for a ton of reasons. And again, I started out with that early on. This is humane. I mean, what other thing do we let people suffer for when they're in jail and think it's okay? Right. Um, and I and I think that we've just got to change the way we think about that because it's Kurt's catchphrase. That's change my catchphrase. Change the way you think. <laughs> Seriously, Heather, change the way you think. Oh, trust me, I have. <laughs> so, so yeah, humane, you know, and withdrawal symptoms. I mean, if you think about what withdrawal and opioid withdrawal looks like, I mean, I always like to say this, and I don't know, Kurt probably hates it. It's like the worst influenza meets the worst stomach flu ever. So you're Patients can be vomiting everywhere, diarrhea everywhere. They have body aches and they just feel crummy. Well, if they're in a jail, this stuff that's exiting their body is all over this cell and therefore somebody has to clean it up. So you should probably be saying correctional facility. But anyway. Yes, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know. So anyway, body fluids, exposure in the correctional facility. Just when you say body fluids. Okay. But anyway. You know, some of them are like not really fluid. <laughs> I think the, yeah, I think the biggest thing really is that this is the standard of care. This is a disease. They are having symptoms which are something none of us would want, a and we should of be their treating illness. It. a symptom of their illness withdrawal. So let's do something about it. And and really, there's a lot of research that shows long term if we do things and we help this patient group in the long run, things go better. Like they live, yeah. decrease mortality. I mean, that all cause mortality, all cause mortality. They stay in treatment, and that can just be in a program, um, like a clinic program where they're getting their MAT and then staying in recovery, um, decrease related criminal activity. So now we're going to decrease our recidivism. So the whole in and out of jail thing. Yeah. And when we start patients, and we've seen this many times in our local county jail, when we start that and they get out and they're doing well. They're working again. They're they're related. They're getting back with their families. Correct. So, and then with that, you know, they're getting back to their families. They're having babies. The babies do better. The, the moms get to keep their babies, so we have less child protection involved. Um, they have left, less exposure to HIV, hepatitis B, or C. They have all these just the harm reduction. Yeah. I mean, that total enhanced things. kind of that social functioning and, you know, that redu- reduction really in, in our uh, potential for relapse. And so... Again, I think that we have to look at, can it all start with with the jail? And the answer in my book is yes. yes. Yeah. So, I mean, studies show that when what a community sees when you're doing MAT, lower crime, lower patients in the ER, lower child, child protection, increased working. Yeah. And then harm reduction, lower everything, hep C, HIV, endocarditis, death, and all the above. Yeah. And that's just to name a couple things. Just a few. I mean, we're not going to go through every study, but the studies do show that. And and again, I think when we look at how much money we can save our system, when we start at the jail in patients who come in, I think it's amazing. 
Yeah, and there was a study, speaking of, California crime cost segue. analysis. There's this great segue out of NIH. So they, they did a study on this, and you know they looked at treating patients with methadone or buprenorphine versus just sending them to detox, where, of course, they're going through the whole withdrawal thing. Cost savings of approximately $18,000 per person. So if they sent patients who had um, drug-related crimes to treatment rather than to jail or prison, they actually saved this saved the state approximately a million dollars in the first year of the study. I'd say that's pretty much proof. I was like, we're going to be silent for a second. Yeah, it's like... No words done. It's a lot of cash. I only want Mike 10% drop. of that. Yeah. <laughs> so the risk, uh, the risk of death from overdose actually, of course, and this has been well documented when coming out of jail or prison is so high, hundreds of times higher in that first two weeks than than the average person without OUD. So this is a very dangerous time. And uh and I mean that's all sadly, directly related to this, science yeah. and tolerance and all of that. And yeah. Actually I I had a patient recently got out of prison, overdosed within a week. Well and if you think about it, I mean yeah, they make it through the worst of their withdrawal. So first of all, you're doing something inhumane by not giving them that MAT when they're starting their withdrawal. They get through it, and you're like, good, this person suffered, which is a lot of people, how a lot of people think, and then they get out, but they still have all these brain changes that want themselves to use. That's correct. So they're still going to use, and then it's just horrible. Um, you know, and then there's always this question of, well, if you're giving them MAT or if you're forcing them to go to treatment rather than them, their choice to go, you know, it's not going to be as good one. Actually, there's been a lot of studies now that show that even through the NIH studies that outcomes are just as good, if not better, even if you, it's involuntary. Yeah, they're making you go. They're making you go. You actually do just as well as if you'd wanted to go anyway. It's like your mom making you go to church. Okay, it's not exactly the same. <laughs> but, uh, wow. yeah, and then you become a priest. Um, I didn't. I was just going to say, um... Anyway, yeah. back so, to the talk. <laughs> yeah, back to the talk. I, I digressed. Um, so really, you know, what are the most important things for the, this long-term decreased deaths? And, and really, it's about retention in programs. And when we look at especially patients coming out of the correctional system, to get them in a program right away, again, all-cause mortality uh, is much lower uh, with methadone and with buprenorphine. So it's getting them in and it's retaining them. And... You know, the, the retention for methadone is actually actually a little higher uh, from the studies I've looked at previously, uh, but they're pretty close. I mean, I think buprenorphine mm-hmm. is, is becoming kind of the standard of care because less issues with diversion and other things. So. so, yeah. So why is it not done? I mean, you need to have a lot of buy-in to get this to happen in a, in a jail. And if you're wanting to know what that actually looks like, you need whoever your jail provider is to think it's a good idea. You need the nursing staff to think it's a good idea. You need your correctional officers to have some buy-in. You need your sheriff who's in charge of the jail. You need your jail administrator. You need your county correctional or the county commissioners who run the money that goes to pay for the meds in the jail. So anyway, there's a lot of people <laughs> that have a say or, you know, have an opinion. And, you know, ultimately, yes, this is a controlled substance in the jail. But yeah. as Kurt already alluded to, the whole cheeking it, Again, this is how the medication is taken. Yeah, and I think most most of the correctional facilities want to use, you know, the sub subungual films. I mean, they're just so much harder to to mess with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're a little harder to. I've had patients sneak them in, uh, the pills actually up their nose. Long story. All right, but I think that um, one of the things really too, I think that most of the 
people who are paying for the health care in all of our correctional facilities is really, can you prove that cost effectiveness? How will we prove it? And, and often it, you know, it takes time and, and it's the whole system that you can decrease the, the cost for. So, so you know, as far as what is the cost effectiveness and, you know, the first time we looked into these numbers, you know, it's, I'm way diversion, jumping I can ahead. Tell. So don't, don't, don't flip your pages here. I'm not. You know, a couple of years ago, it wasn't super cost effective up front. I mean, the cost of the medication for Suboxone or buprenorphine naloxone in the jail was still much higher than, you know, the average medication. So this was going to take a few years for the indirect cost savings. So if you're looking at a day in detox, it's three hundred four dollars a day. If you're in a small jail in Minnesota, it's about one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty dollars a day. Now buprenorphine is much lower, but if you're having you're not having the same people come back to jail as often, ultimately it is going to be a washout or better. Without a doubt. Without we, a doubt, we've proven that. But up front, when you're trying to convince somebody to pay for this med, they see dollar signs right up front. But yeah, let's talk about some well, the number. The first federal precedent, yeah. and of course there have been cases now, and I think we're going to see more and more of these. I think. The first one was down on the East Coast that where somebody sued because they could not get their MAT. And I believe that one was actually methadone. It was, yeah. Um, and they said that their Eighth Amendment uh, rights were violated because mm-hmm. it was cruel and unusual punishment. and Violated the American Disability Act. And I would agree. Mm-hmm. So basically they felt that there was a deliberate indifference to a medical condition. I'd agree with that too. And there's been numerous i'm so um, agreeable today you are gosh you must be tired um there are numerous cases now in the country since just that first one which was just in what 2018 yeah um that have all shown very similar so this is this is kind of the push for the country at this point um do we want to talk a little bit more about the different medications we touched on them a little bit, we, but... I think we touched on them. I'm not sure that we need to kind of go through each one. I think that, you know, again, for us as addiction doctors and family doctors, really our ability to give somebody methadone in a, in a jail is zero. And, uh, you know, most of the jail physicians, nurse practitioners, do not have the ability to give methadone, except you could give it for pain if somebody was already on it for pain. But to get it from the OTP, again, as you said earlier, it's a little bit dif- more difficult. Right. The chain of custody, lots of issues. Yeah, there's just a lot of logistical issues, taking time, um, people having to go get it. and Yeah. Whereas Vivitrol, which is naltrexone, um, when you give that injectable, you know, a lot of that's expensive. And I know some of the jails are getting it more inexpensively or cheaper. But... Uh, Again, you they have to be in jail for anywhere from seven days to fourteen days uh, to be out of the withdrawal to have all the opioid kind of washed out before you can give it. And again, the average length of stay is very short, especially in our counties. Most people are bailed out by two three days, right? And so you're not going to be able to give them Vivitrol, but you could very quickly give them buprenorphine. So yeah, and you know. you still have to manage their full withdrawal, which therefore takes that extra correctional officer to help. Again, body fluids. So I'm. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, just go back to the fact that some poor person has had to clean all this up. Stop with and just stop only, with the body okay, fluids. Okay, not only is it just gross for somebody to have to clean up, but that causes a lot of other health issues for that person who's vomiting and uncomfortable. And let's anyway. just move to workflow. Workflow. So how do we do this in our jail with the help of 
Todd. Dr. Todd. Dr. Todd. Dr. Todd from Mend. He he was the person who uh, took care of the patients in our jail. And so we worked out a deal. Okay, we basically bullied him and our sheriff into a corner. And if you knew our sheriff and Dr. Todd, they're both like way bigger than Kurt and I. And we like bullied him and won. Okay, we begged. <laughs> we made a cake. Yeah, we made a cake. And, um, but, you know, really, it, it wasn't going to be that difficult. And, it, and I think everybody involved would say it was a wonderful thing. We were one of the early jails, if not one of the first, that started a buprenorphine program in our county and continued it. There's somebody that suggested they did it earlier, but the program stopped. Um, and ours has continued to this day. Mm-hmm. And really, it's it's just getting that health assessment from the nurse right away and, uh, you know, formal screening. They use the same forms that we've used in our clinic. We gave Correct. them all to them. You know, and I think the biggest thing, and this is, goes for the jail, this goes for any part of the community, having that communication between the clinic program where the patient will be followed up and wherever they are right now. So whether it's child protection, it's the jail, it's social services, really encouraging that um, sharing of information and, and having the patients understanding the importance of that sharing of information only helps them. It's not in any way, shape or form trying to get that person in trouble or whatever. It's not punitive. It's not punitive. It's just trying to continue that, that have that continuity if you will, yeah, um, so that, to help that patient. Kind of that really nice transition to a to a clinic near you. So, and again, I, I think everybody that's involved in our program would say that this is very cost effective, and it's amazing how little money we've spent over the last few years. Uh, again, because patients often aren't in the clinic very long, or excuse me, in the jail very long. And so they may get a few doses, and then they come to us and get a prescription. Correct. So, and a good thing. So yeah, this, you know, what what's this looking for? Stay tuned, like we've mentioned. This is this is huge. This is huge not just for the state and the country. This is huge for us. This has kind of been one of our our things. Pet, pet projects. Pet projects. And, and I think I think we're gonna continue it. I think we're gonna continue it. And so stay stay tuned. Can we kind of half quote some of these things? Yeah. Um, you I mean, know, when we did these programs really early, um, we had a couple um not going to name who said these. These are correctional officers within our jail when we first started this. And um, the first quote says, before Suboxone, inmate withdrawal would be awful and time-consuming for staff. Now that our jail offers the program, inmates are able to come off come off of heroin and opioids quickly and more comfortably. And, and then... Yeah, then one other little quote from our correctional people was, quote, I was not in favor of this, but I cannot believe the difference it has made in my work unquote. Correct. So that's a good thing. So so Dr. Beller and I are looking for a way to really make this happen in the jails. And so we're brainstorming. I think we're going to come up with something. So anyway, stay tuned and we will be back at you next week. Thank you. Maybe some point we'll talk about how we're doing this in the future. (laughs) (laughs) yes all right well again thanks thanks for listening all right and we will hopefully uh, listen next week all right battle legs please take over please Fairly well, I am bound 
for California, a place that I know right well. So fare thee well, my own true love. When I return, united we will be. It's not the leaving of Liverpool that grieves me, but my darling, when I think of thee. Ship Davy Crockett is her name, and her captain's name is Burgess, and they say it's a floating hell. So fare thee well, my own true love. When I return, united we will be. It's not the leaving of Liverpool that grieves me. I sailed with Burgess once before And I think I know him quite well If a man's a sailor he will get along If he's not, then he's sure to tell So fare thee well, my own true love When I return united we will be it's not the leaving of Liverpool that grieves me But my darling, when I think of thee Oh, the sun is on the harbor, love And I wish that I could remain For I know that it will be a long, long time Before I see you again So Darling, when I think of thee So fare thee well, my own true love When I return, united we will be It's not the leaving of Liverpool that grieves me But my darling, when I think of thee